we Christians have a very peculiar way of speaking about God. We can forget that sometimes, but it is true. Christianity is, of course, grouped with the monotheistic religions of the world, and for good reason. We confess that there is one God. Yes, but we insist on this business about three also. God in three persons, as our familiar opening hymn today says. It's peculiar and it's hard to talk about, but that has not stopped Christians from trying. Here's how the Athanasian Creed, a widely accepted expression of Orthodox Christian belief from sometime around the eighth century puts it. Eternal is the Father, eternal is the Son, eternal is the Spirit, and yet there are not three eternal beings, but one who is eternal. In this Trinity, no one is before or after, greater or less than the other, but all three persons are in themselves co-eternal and co-equal. Okay, it's not exactly stirring poetry, right? But you can see what the writer or writers probably are trying to do here. There are these three characters, father, son, spirit, all of whom are eternal, but they're really the same being. There's only one God. No one was around longer than the others. No one is more important or less important. There's no first place, second place, third place. There's no hierarchy, no pecking order. There really are three, and together they really are one. Crystal clear, right? Creeds like that one and treatise after treatise besides were written to help clarify just what we Christians mean when we speak about the Trinity. And they absolutely have their place. They move us toward greater precision in our thinking. They give form and character to the confession that we make. They sort of set the bounds for the theological playing field. But they can leave you a little cold. Like all there is to say about the Trinity is that it is a sort of math problem that doesn't compute. One plus one plus one equals one. We can be left feeling like the point of the Trinity is to get it right to not fall off the razor's edge into this heresy or that one. It can feel awfully distant and abstract and theoretical, like an old idea that has little or nothing to do with the way I live my life. And that's a shame, because the Trinity is far more interesting than that and far more immediate. Just ask Paul. Okay, well, if you actually asked Paul about the Trinity, he'd probably look at you like you were crazy because nobody in the first century was using that word to speak about God. All that language about co-equal, co-eternal persons was hundreds of years away. None of the biblical writers was speaking about God on precisely those terms. But Paul and others in the early church were faced with this baffling new reality that was forcing them to rethink everything they thought they knew about God. They had these centuries-old stories that they knew by heart of God creating the world and its creatures and calling Abraham and Sarah and opening up the way to freedom and raising up prophets and guiding the people to a new future out of exile. And now beyond that, they had their experience of Jesus, who was a teacher and a healer and a leader, yes, but who for them was clearly more than that besides. The tomb where he was laid was empty, after all, and he kept appearing to his followers after his death. That's no ordinary person. They had this new reality of Jesus to reckon with, and on top of it all, they had their experience of the Spirit. 
In this time after Jesus's ascension, they found themselves filled with purpose and hope and direction, empowered to do things they never imagined doing, and being accompanied and held up in this new and very immediate way. So the notion of the Trinity didn't begin with a bunch of theologians sitting around a conference table. It began with the lives of the first Christians who found that their experience of Jesus and of the Spirit called for new ways of speaking about God. Our reading this evening from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians has one of the Bible's very few statements that sounds almost explicitly Trinitarian. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. You might know those words as marking the beginning of a worship service, right? In lots of places, those, they are used that way as a greeting. But in this letter, they're actually a closing. This is how the letter ends. If you know anything about the church in Corinth in Paul's time, you probably know that it's a mess. And the second letter to the Corinthians is sort of equally a mess. It's scattered and complex, and even the events that occasion Paul's writing it are hard to discern. What's clear is that this community is continuing to struggle with its relationships with one another, and now also, it seems, with Paul. Other leaders have showed up in Corinth with a flashier gospel to proclaim, and lots of people are fed up with Paul and the difficult path that he laid out. Biblical scholar Luke Timothy Johnson says Paul's trying to build a bridge across a widening gulf in this letter. Reconciliation is the key task at hand. So Paul ends with this sort of rapid-fire catalog of final instructions. Put things in order, listen to my appeal, agree with one another, live in peace, greet one another with a holy kiss. They're imperatives aimed at building up community life, certainly easier said than done. But peppered among them, he adds these two important lines. The God of love and peace will be with you, he says first, and then he closes with that larger blessing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. I think the key word in both lines is with. I hope you will forgive me a Harry Potter illustration tonight. There's a lot of Harry Potter talk in my house. It seems like there always is. Near the end of book six, for those of you who know this series well, as Voldemort and his evil followers are growing in power, young Harry and his headmaster Dumbledore go on a dangerous quest. Dumbledore has always been the rock that Harry depended on. He's old and wise and the most powerful wizard of his age, and as Harry has faced challenge after challenge, Dumbledore's always been there to point him in the right direction. But this particular quest is terrible and dangerous, and when they finally succeeded in getting what they were looking for, this magical locket, Dumbledore is totally spent. His face is pale, his powers are weakened, he can hardly speak and can barely stand on his own. He's leaning on Harry for support. And Harry does the best he can to try to stay positive, saying things like, it's okay, it's just a little farther, I'll get us back home. It's a reversal of roles in a way. Harry is now the one who's supporting his mentor, guiding him, protecting him. It's gonna be all right, sir, he says. Don't worry. And Dumbledore, who has always been the strong one, 
responds with this beautiful and unexpected line. I'm not worried, Harry. I am with you. Being with someone can make all the difference. It can mean the difference between being worried and staying calm, between being lost and taking a step forward, between being afraid and acting with trust. And in all the messes that are facing the Corinthians, Paul says God is with them. God is with them in the love by which they were created. God is with them in the grace that they've seen in Jesus, who embodied that love here on earth. God is with them in the spirit, who communes with them and draws them into loving community with one another. Paul's not working out complex Trinitarian doctrine here. He is simply pointing out the ways that God is present with this particular community and with us. And he cannot limit himself to just one way. He has to name three. That's where I think the idea of the Trinity really touches down in our lives. It's about a God who's not distant and abstract, but utterly committed to being with us. Pastor and theologian Sam Wells says that according to Christianity, the true heart, greatest dynamic, and ultimate future of all things lies in the word with. It's a bold and big statement, but I think it's true. We tell the story of a God who didn't want just an empty, lonely cosmos, but a world full of life, full of creatures to enjoy and to be with. That same God walked among us, sharing our life and our death, journeying with us in the profoundest sense, and showing us how to be with one another. That same God abides with us here and now, breathing life and hope into our individual lives and into our community. To speak of God as Trinity is to name all those ways God is with us. And to go a step further, it's to say that the very heart of God is about being with. The Father with the Son with the Spirit. You cannot speak of God as solitary. There's always company, always community, always relationship. It is just who God is. So see what I mean? The Trinity is not just a fussy old idea. Whatever we are facing, joy or worry, gratitude or grief, the triune God is present for us, embracing us, empowering us, welcoming us into the dance of God's own life. It is a little word, with, but it makes all the difference. Thanks be to God. Amen.